0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special podcast series on compliance lessons from Venice. I just got back from a trip to Venice, and I put together a short podcast series on the compliance lessons that can be learned from this most stunning city on the globe. But first, a word about the newest podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network, which will be premiering in December, Great Women in Compliance. Looking for the top new podcast in compliance, look no further than Great Women in Compliance, a podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley, produced by One Creative. In this podcast series, Lisa and Mary will talk to some of the top female compliance practitioners literally across the globe about how they have achieved their position and what other women can do to move forward in compliance. It's going to be a great series. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Episode 2, Arsenale and Incentivizing Compliance. Today, I'm focusing on the Arsenale. No, this is not a precursor to that famous North London football club, the Arsenal Gunners. But it is the district in Venice where one of the main commercial enterprises of the city took place, that being shipbuilding, ship refurbishment, and ship repair. At one point, the Arsenale employed almost 10% of the city's workforce, over 12,000 people. This was in the mid-1200s to the mid-1400s when Venice was at or near the height of its trading and financial power. The Arsenali developed the first production line for the building of ships when, of course, it was all done by hand. The equipment developed to drag ships up on shore and repair was simply amazing. Appropriately, now the Arsenale is now a, an Italian and NATO naval facility. I also picked up some interesting compliance insights in learning more about the Arsenali. The shipbuilding techniques were of such a high level and importance to the city that they were viewed as state secrets to protect against the loss of such valuable intellectual property. The Venetian Fathers put a series of incentives and punishments that can help inform your best practices compliance program up to this day. This is around punishment and incentives. First and foremost, on the punishment side, Venice forbade any skilled worker from leaving the city to go to work at a neighboring city or a rival city, i.e. the first non-compete and still widely used in corporate America today. Second was the punishment, that if you were caught passing state secrets or secrets around the arsenality or of the arsenality, you were summarily executed only after excruciating torture. And while those specific techniques are not widely used in corporate America today, I'm sure there are some non-enlightened corporate leaders who might like to reinstitute one or both of these practices. However, on the incentive side, there were several mechanisms the city of Venice used to help make the Arsenal workforce more loyal and desirous to stay in their jobs for the betterment of themselves and their city. The first was job security. The Arsenale was so busy for many years that layoffs were unheard of. If someone lost their job through injury or mishap or worse, they received enough compensation that they could live in the city. Finally, when a worker died, the company provided not only the funeral expenses, but would assist in taking care of the family through stipends or finding other work for family members. This dual focus on keeping the state secrets of shipbuilding and repair within the city of Venice reminded me of one of the points that representatives of the DOJ and SEC continually remind compliance practitioners about when discussing any best practices program, whether based upon the ten hallmarks of an effective compliance program, articulation in a deferred prosecution agreement, or something else. They continually remind CCOs that any best practice should have both incentives and discipline as a part of your compliance program. Regarding disincentives incentives for violating the FCPA, the 2012 guidance is clear. DOJ and SEC will thus cons- consider whether, when enforcing a compliance program, a company has appropriate and clearly defined procedures, whether those procedures are applied reliably and promptly, and whether they are commensurate with the violation. Many companies have found that publicizing disciplinary actions internally where appropriate under local law, can have an important deterrent effect, demonstrating the unethical and unlawful actions and swift and sure consequences. However, the guidance is equally clear that there should be incentives for not only following your company's internal code of conduct, but also doing business the right way, i.e., not engaging in bribery and corruption. On incentives, the guidance also says the DOJ and SEC will recognize that positive incentives can drive compliant behavior. These incentives can take many forms, such as personal evaluations and promotions, rewards for improving and developing a company's compliance programs, and rewards for ethics and compliance programs. Some organizations, for example, have made adherence to compliance a significant metric for management's bonuses so that compliance becomes an integral part of management's everyday concern. But the guidance also recognizes that incentives not only need not only be limited to financial rewards, but sometimes simply acknowledging employees for doing the right thing can be a powerful tool as well. All of this was neatly summed up in the guidance with a quote from a speech given by Stephen Cutler, the then Director, Division of Enforcement, SEC, when he said, quote, "...making integrity, ethics, and compliance part of the promotion, compensation, and evaluation process as well." For at the end of the day, the most effective way to communicate that doing the right thing is a priority is to reward it. Conversely, if employees are led to believe that when it comes to compensation and career advancement, all that counts is short-term profitability and cutting ethical corners is an acceptable way of getting there, they'll perform to that metric. Designing an example from a different walk of life, a college football coach can be told that graduation rates of players are what matters, but he'll know differently if the sole focus of his contract extension talks or the decision to fire him is his one loss record. One Houston-based company, Weatherford, annually awards cash bonuses of $10,000 to employees who have gone above and beyond in the area of ethics and compliance for the company. While some might intone that this is to be expected from a company that recently concluded a multi-year and multi-million dollar FCPA enforcement action, if you want to emphasize change on culture, not much says more so than loudly than awarding that kind of money to an employee. Well, I'm sure that being handed a check for $10,000 is quite a nice prize. You can also consider the more mundane methods to incentivize compliance. You can make compliance evaluations a part of every employee's overall evaluation for some type of year-end discretionary bonus. It can be 5%, 10%, or even up to 20%. But once you put it in writing, you need to follow it. Incentives can be burned into the DNA of the company through the hiring and promotion process. There should be compliance component to all senior management hires and promotions up to the august ranks within a company. Your HR function can get be a great aid to your cause in driving the right type of behavior through design and implementation of some structures. Employees know who gets promoted and why. If someone who is not only known for hitting their numbers is continually promoted, there is an accomplishment. They, however they accomplish this feat, will certainly be observed by his or her co-workers. Just as the fathers of Venice view the workers of the Arsenale as critical to their well-being for their city, senior managers need to understand the same about their workforce. In places like Texas, employees are typically incentivized with an enlightened remarks along the lines of, you should just be happy to even have a job. Fortunately, there are real-world examples of corporate incentives that can work into a compliance regime. The city of Venice long ago showed that such incentives could help it maintain a commercial advantage. Unfortunately for us, the DOJ and SEC still understand these valuable lessons and continue to talk about them as well. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on compliance lessons from Venice, and I hope you'll join me for our next episode where we take a look at selfie sticks and risk assessments. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of my special five-part podcast series on compliance lessons from Venice. And I hope you'll join me again for another episode. I also hope you will subscribe to my podcast series either through Libsyn, through my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com, through J.D. Supra, or through my new site, The Panoply Network. I also hope you will check out the Great Women in Compliance podcast series, which premieres on the Compliance Podcast Network in December 2018. Compliance Lessons from Venice has been a a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.